Living our cause. Vincent Flood recites a story from his autobiographical book, The Ambidextrous Hound. He begins as his father returns to the family shortly after the end of World War II. Came the day of joy, our father was coming home for good. No more one visit a year, either summer or Christmas. With the ending of the Second World War in Europe, many fathers were returning home to their families. No more anxious times for many wives who waited through the years, never knowing the day or the hour when they would become a widow. For the first time in ages, the family was together. Every possible opportunity we had it for the seaside. A lunch basket was prepared, a bus into town, and depending on which bus came first, we had it for either the Bullwall or Malahide. There were good times for all of us, especially our parents who were so relaxed and happy together. It had been very difficult time for both parents. Many marriages did not survive the drama of enforced separation. The wife bringing up the children as best she could alone, a forerunner of today's single parents. The men working in factories on building sites, living in camps, sleeping in the dreaded Nissan huts with severe rationing, food shortages and ever-present danger from many enemy planes, especially at night. The air raid sirens going off at all hours of the night only added to the anxiety. It was years later that the full effects of this unhealthy working conditions surfaced in the form of the White Death. Ireland was in a depressed state, in spite of the fact that we were neutral during the war, jobs were hard to find. Building trade was particularly bad, particularly non-existent, and the labour money barely paid the rent. Somehow our dad managed to find work, mostly with small builders. Pay was just above the poverty line, but our mother was a great manager, so we survived, but only just. With the building trade in the doldrums, the future looked grim. Our dad took a chance and had some driving lessons to improve his chances of finding a job. The money to pay for the lessons was carefully saved each week until the required amount was achieved, not without some great sacrifices on the part of our parents. Dad got a whisper that CAE were recruiting staff for the road freight section. A driving licence was required, something few people had at the time. After much coming and goings, he got a job as a truck driver. Her mother was ecstatic. Thank God you were finished with the building trade. Dad got the Norris to commence work in Transport House and Bachelor's Walk. The fact that he had a regular job made life more tolerable for all of us. The easing of food rationings was another factor that improved the lives of many people. We were thrilled when sometimes our dad would bring one of the trucks home at lunch hour. For us, it was great to sit behind the wheel of a big truck. Naturally, we were the envy of our pals. None of their fathers drove a truck. Sean, the eldest son, was fortunate to get an apprenticeship with a Mr. Russell to save his time as a joiner. His contribution to the family income was minimal, with wages at a pound a week. His 15 bob a week made very little difference to the family affair, but every little helped. Two years later, his brother... Peter also got an apprenticeship at the fish and poultry trade, a trade that our parents, my mother's family, had been involved in for generations. About this time, we were awarded a corporation house in Ballyfair, 
a million miles from where we were read. We sometimes refer to it as Outer Mongolia. It was goodbye to all our pals. For us boys, it was a terrible change. Having built up a circle of friends, we were transported to a new housing estate, not knowing a single soul. A mental child had to cycle to the North Strand there and back every day. Likewise, his brother Peter had to cycle to Donnybrook, quite a distance to travel every day. It was no, no mean feat with a day's walk in between. Our father was transferred to driving a bus and he was based in Conningham Road Depot, not too far from our home. It gave him regular hours that suited everyone. The only positive thing that Sean was that he was had a room to himself, a real luxury indeed. My two brothers shared another room with our parents, leaving the large front bedroom, considering that they were previous years in one room. Life was good, with the two of us bringing home wages. For the first time in her life, our mother did not have a, to count every penny. There was even talk of a family holiday, something unheard of in those times. It was not to be. A father who had smoked all his life developed a dreadful cough that raked his whole body. After much persuasion by our mother, he reluctantly agreed to see a doctor. The usual tests were carried out, including an X-ray, before he was diagnosed as having the dreaded TB. We were not aware of how serious this was, not so our mother. The white dead, as it was commonly known, had ravaged thousands of families, filled graveyards in every county. In no time at all, our father was moved to St Mary's Sanatorium in the Phoenix Park. Each of us was subjected to a rigorous health check to see if the infection had spread. It was weeks before the results were confirmed, they proved negative. For a short while, we had enjoyed a moment of prosperity. Now it was a turn to hard times. Apprentices' wages did not amount to much. During this trauma, our poor father never complained. He just accepted his fate stoically. Being confined to a bed was probably the worst thing he was obliged to endure. For one who had spent all his life working outdoors, it could not have been easy for him. Those dreadful war years had taken their toll. So began for him years of hospitalisation, culminating in the, the rib operation, when numerous of his ribs were removed, all to the affected part of his lung. The setting for St Mary's Hospital was magnificent, surrounded by so many fine nature trees with a long winding driveway. It nevertheless meant very little to us. Our only concern was the well-being of our father and the consequences for our mother. It was a return to tight management, of which my mother was an expert. The sick benefits did not amount to much. Subsistence. We were never short of food, but with very little else. Twice a week we had for St Mary's, armed with whatever bits and pieces we could afford. We looked forward to our visit. It must have been a long day for him, just lying there, looking out the window, with only visits from his family to brighten up his otherwise miserable day. How he managed to put in his days, we will never know. Apart from his enforced confinement, there was the dark shadow of TB hanging over him. Over the period of time, during our visits, other patients in the ward would be missing, to be replaced by new arrivals. No one asked what became of the missing patients. We were probably afraid to ask. For a mother, rearing three boys, again on her own, life had not been kind for her. 
but there were few pleasures. Social life was non-existent. Fortunately, not too far from my home was the local De La Salle school. Someone had the foresight to show films a few evenings a week. It proved to be very popular in the new housing estate where there was no outlet at all for people, with full houses for each showing. It was a welcome relief for our mother, who loved going to the cinema. Each of us in our turn accompanied her, depending on what film was showing. The seats were not exactly cushioned or very comfortable, but it was an escape from the hard real world and gave her some outlet for the daily grind of caring for her family. She never, ever complained. The weekly visits continued for months, it extended to years and still no sign of her father's release. By this time, Sean had begun playing football with Crusaders Football Club in the Under-21 League, a team from Drumcondra, where we had lived previously. And as luck would have it, or otherwise, every second week, Sean played in the 15 legs in the Phoenix Park, right in the shadow of St Mary's. It felt kind of strange for him, playing football, knowing his father was at that same time stretched out in the hospital bed, not knowing what the future had in store for him or his family. The twice weekly visits continued. It would never occur to us not to visit our father. You went to see your father, not out of a sense of duty, because he was your father. After what seemed a lifetime, he was released and he came home. A tall, gaunt figure of a man, he appeared even taller than we remembered him. The operation had been successful, but it had taken its toll. Never other than then, it looked like a refugee from Belson prison camp. The following months of recuperation, as he sought to rebuild his health, was tough. And before the end of the year, he was past fit for work. Naturally, he had stopped smoking. About this time, our Grand McHugh passed away peacefully in James's hospital. This presents a problem for our granddad, who was living alone, and at his age, he was incapable of taking care of himself. He approached their mother to try and persuade her to return to Donnycarney with the family. Our father, still struggling to regain his full health, was reluctant to move to what he perceived as a potentially awkward situation. Two women in the same house seldom worked, the same applies to men. It could foresee difficulties. But our mother was adamant. She preferred Donny Carney. The new housing estate held little in the way of anything as far as she was concerned. It made little difference to us boys. Either way, we were not consulted. There was much soul-searching on the part of her father. He did not relish the thought of living under someone else's roof. Our mother was not to be denied. We were on the move again back to where we had started from. It proved to be a strange experience for us buyers. The paths we had known years before were, like I said, ten years older, mostly were working. It was odd trying to reconnect with those we had known as children. The many changes in both appearances and attitude, it was kind of spooky being reintroduced. Gone were all those children's ways we had cherished before. It was like starting all over again getting to know each other for a second time, a period of adjustment for all of us. The one thing that we all had in common was football. We could relate to that. It's not as simple for our father. His fears were well founded. At times it proved to be a fractious affair with Granda and himself. The fact that Granda smoked a pipe had done so all his life was one reason for creating tension. 
He would sit by the fireplace, puffing away, oblivious to her father's dislike of smoking, forcing him to leave the room in search of some clean air. Over the period of time, this induced resentment in our father's part, leading to exchanges between them. Her mother was caught in the middle, trying to maintain a balance between the warring factions that tested her patience to the limit. It was particularly difficult for her father, especially in winter. At least one could go outside in summer, not so in winter. As always, we were oblivious to the smouldering resentment building up on our father, who probably felt he'd been pushed out of the way by our mother in favour of her father. He was either being in a position not to provide for his family, at least the house in Ballyfermot had been in his name. It came as a shock to us one day when our father had decided to leave home and take a flat in nearby Moreno. Needless to say, we were not consulted or asked for an opinion. It left us devastated. It was unthinkable that our father would be forced to leave home without discussing it with us. We were so involved in our own little world that we became oblivious to what was taking place in our own home. It was the cause of much soul-searching on our part, us not being privy to what was taking place. We were certainly aware of the tensions between them. We never thought it would ever come to anything like this. Our mother put a brave face on it, but never tried to discuss it with us. There was a certain stillness, a quietness about the house, like a death had taken place. In many ways it had. Granda did not appear to be affected by the sudden departure of her father. He continued his pipe smoking. I suppose it being his house, he felt justified in spite of the upset it had caused to our family. For many weeks, to our amazement, nothing was said. Almost as if conspiracy of silence had been drawn over the whole of sad affair. Sean took it upon himself to set up a meeting between our parents in the local pub, not an ideal location, but something had to be done to try and resolve this stupid situation. How did children discuss such personal things with their parents and not appear to take sides? You have so much respect for both of them. The meeting went on for a few hours, for us children seeing and hearing for the first time, things we should have been aware of, it was a chasing experience. It came as a shock that our father felt like a lodger. Our mother denied our acting in that manner. All we could do was plead with them to find some way of getting the family together again. Eventually, it was agreed that our father would return home on condition that Grandad revived on smoking in the house. A few days later, to our great relief, our father returned to the bosom of his family, but it was an uneasy peace. It never boiled over again into open confrontation. The air was at times tense. It was inevitable. Both sides tried to avoid another breakdown. To approach and blame was not easy. A mother probably should have been more sensitive to her father's needs, especially after his illness. Likewise, her father should have been a little more tolerant towards others. Granda, what can you say? He was an old man, set in his ways. Things were never the same again. That openness, that easy way was gone. A further deterioration of father's health a few years later ended with him dying a slow, painful death from cancer in Blanchestown Hospital. This programme was made with the support of Culture. For more information on this series, please visit nearfm.ie forward slash living hyphen archives.
Living Archives is a growing collection. If you have a story you'd like to share with us, please contact us at documentary at near.ie.